everybody. What is up? Welcome into MTE or Q. Today uh, we're talking about Cable Guy. We are. I am Dustin, and that is Cameron that you hear. Hello. And we are talking about the Cable Guy, a dark comedy from the I think ninety five, ninety six, ninety six, I believe. Yeah. Directed by Ben Stiller and uh, written by I forget, but big thing is produced by Judd Apatow. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Big and really, you see a lot of like that introductory into that Judd Apatow style of comedy, very dry, uh, dark, as you will. Yeah, unbelievably dark. Yeah, I mean, it's really just kind of a terrifying stalker story. It's written by Lou Holtz Jr. That, yeah, and I believe is actually Lou Holtz's son, the Notre Dame, the famed Notre Dame football coach. I don't know because his Wikipedia does not have a clickable link. In the okay. Movie. So I can only assume. I would imagine so. I don't know how many Lou Holtzes there are in yeah. the world. So that, I feel like I've looked into that one and it may be Lou Holtz, famed Notre Dame national champion winning football coach's son. Uh, Cable Guy is essentially the story of a dude who gets really obsessed with another dude. And that one dude is just his cable installer. And I mean, there's a lot of washed references in this, if you will, just of the factor of cable installation, having to have someone come and install cable for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. You don't just have a wall mount where you just plug right in and go. But that's (laughs) what a lot of this movie posits, which is really cool. And I forgot uh, just how uh, clairvoyant and predictive it is of the internet and like it really the world we live in right now and it's like this obscure comedy starring jim carrey at the height of his powers decides after batman batman ace ventura Ventura, and dumb and dumber and dumb and dumber to just do this i need to make a dark comedy where i'm a crazy cable installer yeah and it seems like it's a labor of love for him throughout like he's not just half-assing it he's doing this entire movie with a slur like a not a slur but a lisp. Yeah, he he has a lisp and he talks like this throughout the entire movie, and it it's it's pretty intense. He's intense. Like it's a completely different person. Which is funny because he's still like zany, wacky, and zany and over the top. Yeah, but he like but tweaks it to horrifying. where like instead of being like funny like Ace Ventura, it's just yeah, it's, it's completely sheer terrifying. Terror. <laughs> like you're genuinely terrified of this beloved comedian at this point, and this is. I think before Robin Williams, yeah, because yeah, Robin Williams' first four years and into that is Insomnia, or is it One Hour Photo first? I forget which one comes first. I think Insomnia, but just kind comes of these first. beloved zany comedians delving into this dark, just zagging real hard, <laughs> yeah, into, yeah, <laughs> zagging the hardest you possibly can as an actor. Uh, but it. It is very hilarious, though. Like, I found myself cracking up throughout most of it. Uh, a lot of the stuff I don't remember because I'm not good with remembering Which lines. is funny, too, because this movie did not get well-received. No, no, it was not it made critically. Money, it did make money. But it was not well-received. It wasn't. Even when I was young, I was riding the high of Ace Ventura, um, Batman and Robin. Or not Batman and Robin. Sorry, Batman Forever. Yeah. Almost biffed <laughs> that one. Uh, Riding in the High Batman Forever, where it, he is dark in a sense in that one. Like, he's the darker character of the two. In Between Two-Face Two-Fa- yeah. and Riddler. Like, he's like, I want to take people's thoughts. I want to know people's deepest, darkest emotions and thoughts and use them against them. So I can which advertise. Is, yeah, which <laughs> is low-key what 
is happening is now. happening now. Yeah, Jim Carrey, mid '90s Jim Carrey was really on some woke shit. He saw streaming coming. He saw yeah. the internet coming. He knew there was gonna be targeted ads. Yeah, you can play Mortal Kombat. Like, there's literally a line in Cable Guy there. He says, "You can play Mortal Kombat with your friend in Vietnam." <laughs> like, <laughs> like he gives this whole monologue about connectivity and where the world will be in the future. And I mean, this is '96, so we we obviously have an idea of what the internet is at that point and like what it, you know, you have chat rooms and also, right. It was still just like a disc that you pop in and and fire up the AOL. AOL, Yeah. And it was, it wasn't accessible to everyone, but the accessibility of internet now is, I mean, this is 24 years ago and it's pretty like, Oh wow. It's cool to see that there was, I guess, Lou Holtz Jr. On the Ben Stiller and, uh, and, uh, and young Judd Apatow, Judd Apatow. Just on the forefront of internet predictability, <laughs> they saw all this, futures. all this telecommunications yeah, coming. Yeah, telecommunications futures. Yeah, that's a. Do you think because like it became a pretty cult classic movie early on? It did. Yeah. What like so obviously looking back now we can say oh it's super super clairvoyant oh it's super how did they know this was gonna happen? What do you think made it a cult movie in the moment though because like came out in 96 if you're in like the year 2000 the internet still isn't at what it's going to become like it's not this thing so why would people in 2000 I... watch it and be like oh man how did we forget how did we sleep on this so i had a friend in middle school because that's kind of when that happened that really like loved this movie at that point and we were both in middle school at the same time and he kind of caught that wave and i was like cable guy what I mean, it was terrible when it came out. You know, I was like becoming a movie snob at that point, uh, which still am to this day. <laughs> uh, still a shitty movie snob. And, <laughs> and I, I think it's that it was different in a way that you hadn't had an experience like that comedically. Like in those early 2000s, you had things like Shallow Hal coming out that were a little darker right. on the side of dark, but they were just more mean, if you will. Um but what comedy in the early two thousands was, dude, where's my car? Something about Mary, I think was something 99. about Mary was, and that's also probably brings it back is because people are like Ben Stiller. What has Ben Stiller do, done? What's he been up to? And I think up to that point it was Reality Bites and the Cable Guy and Ben Stiller Show. The Ben Stiller Show. Heavyweights. Heavy. Yeah, he had never. He'd kind of been a character actor bit part, and then he directed this. He's more a director than anything. He was, yeah, because he did Reality Bites too. Yeah, he did, like, and it. Young Ben Stiller, you don't really think of until there's something about Mary, and you're like, oh yeah, Ben Stiller. What's Whoa. this? What else is this guy in? Oh, Jerry Stiller's kid. Like, mm-hmm. uh, rest in peace. Recently, not to date this podcast because of that, but uh, to speak of Ben Stiller, Jerry Stiller recently passed. Uh, but I think that too was people being like, "Oh, Ben Stiller, there's something about Mary." Let's what? Oh, he directed the Cable Guy. Let's reinvestigate that. And when you do rewatch it, like in the moment, in he's in it too, right? He's, he cameos. He's in the basketball he's, scene. He's Sugar, right? Isn't uh, he? The candy guy on trial or the person on trial? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's not in the basketball scene. Uh, he is the brothers, the the fill-ins for the Menendez brothers yeah, the- that are on trial. Yeah, that, that kill each other, that they have uh, uh, Eric Roberts play in the yeah. made-for-TV movie. That, yeah. Oh, what was it? Oh, I forget their names. I just I the brothers. I name, knew he was yeah. in. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, they're the, he's the twin brothers. Uh, the basketball scene has... 
Jack Black in it, and there was someone. Well, else. Jack Black's in the movie too. Yeah, he yeah. He kind of sets this whole thing in motion. There's someone else in the basketball. Oh, Kyle Gass is in the basketball scene. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, that that I was like, oh man, these guys have always for like eternity. Hey, you ride <laughs> and you die. Friendship is rare. But it really does a lot of uh, just inventive, quirky humor. You get to laugh at the sinisterness of this movie, mm-hmm. which you don't get out of a lot of films. And that's what kind of inhabits, I guess you could say, cult movies. Things like Evil Dead 2 uh, and Fight Club. Fight Club. I don't, I don't know if I consider Fight Club a cult movie. It was just not well received at the time, but it had its fans going into it, I guess you could say. Um but you know, th- I mean, a lot. Everything Sam Raimi's ever made, uh, before yeah, Spider Man movies before, are really cool. No, no, before <laughs> Spider Man, uh, there is a cult of Spider Man three that has started to rise. I've noticed on the internet. That's, I started it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know you probably did. Spider Man three hive. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. B- for me, Sam Raimi's like the king of B movies, so that's why I think of him first, and can't think of anything otherwise right now. Um, no, that's fair. I mean, gotta give credit to the master. To me, like at one point, I considered the Fast and the Furious a B movie, until <sighs> what it is now. Like the original one, if it had stayed kind of what it was. I don't think B movie. It's Point Break with cars. A Point Break to me is kind of a a B action flick that made it to an A level. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Like I see, I don't see Point Break. Like Point Break has a lot of ridiculous concepts in it, over the top acting. It's real cheesy. I, I mean, I guess I don't. And because don't of because that. of the product, it's a product of its time. That it ends up that way. Catherine Bigelow does a really like great job with it, and there's <laughs> iconic scenes, and everything. Right? She directed it, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's that iconic, the iconic scenes, but that's kind of the nineties is iconic scenes, scenes and not a lot of like heft to much else. Um, now I just want to think of B movies. Yeah. So let's get back to cable guy here before we, we get, <laughs> so I have a couple, couple things. I want to see if you know, if you know this, this sweet cable guy trivia that I have here. So during the filming of the scene in which the cable guy plays basketball, it was discovered that Jim Carrey could barely dribble a basketball, much less <laughs> make a basket. So director Ben Stiller... I think that's pretty great for the scene. ...had Jim Carrey mime all the actions of playing basketball without a ball, and a ball was added in by visual effects technicians and post. Really? It's a digital oh, basketball. That's... That's actually pretty great because he seems like someone who doesn't know how to play basketball. Like no choreography or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the role of the that cable guy. The whole scene is pretty awesome. Was originally written for Chris Farley. Really? But scheduling conflicts forced him to decline. Do you think this would have been Chris Farley and David Spade, the cable guy? Would this have been a vehicle no. for them, or would it have been... No, I think Broderick's still in it. Which, I th- really quick, before I get back to these, we should talk about him as well. Because he's pretty good in this. He kind of just immediately... He's he goes not from Ferris Bueller. He just goes into, like, <laughs> Meek. Like, you could yeah. replace him 
in this movie with him from basically any other movie after Ferris Bueller and War Games. Yeah. And it's all pretty much the same. And, like, And, uh, oh, no, no, that's Nathan Lane. I was going to say Mousetrap. Oh, no, yeah. But that's Nathan Lane. That's his producer's get, co-star. Yeah, I get, that's the bad thing about the co- the producer's remake, is I get them mixed up and got them mixed up beforehand for some reason, even though Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick couldn't be any more different. Mm-hmm. I they are just the same to me for some reason. I don't know why. So I just yeah, I think he's really good. He's I think he's overlooked. A lot of actors like in that in that generation of that. Well, age because range. he he's overlooked because you have a Jim Carrey performance that not only is he meek in it, but if he was even a minute sense of confident in it, everything Jim Carrey does in that film is a thousand times more intense, extreme and saturated in confidence that it makes everyone around him look tiny. Like he, he has this air of, uh, entitlement and know-it-all throughout it. And, but he's this fucking nerd. But then you find out in the end that he has like through his cable installation, this, he 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 like gaslights his entire family he <laughs> into thinking Matthew Broderick's a terrible person mm-hmm. like he gets everyone to think that Matthew Broderick's just been like physically and emotionally abusing him in the friendship that they've started and he, meanwhile it's the reverse like that's the whole thing in this movie is this man turning this other man's life upside down in the most evil and vile way. Because turning he just in, wants a friend. Just because he wants a friend and the dude's like, uh, I'm good. Thanks for the TV. But and he keeps forcing himself on him and he's like, I'm good. Well, no, so he, he just wants regular cable and this dude straight up rearranges his entire apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Without asking him and installs his cable that way. And it's just like, good luck. And it's like, let's be friends. And he's like, ah, you know, maybe chip. Yeah. Let's keep it. And yeah, (laughs) chip Douglas. Um, and, uh, then he keeps like stalking him and he finally like gives in to be like, yeah, okay, I'll be your friend. And then the evilness ensues after that. And he, under the guise of friendship is what chip is putting across. Mm-hmm. And it's so sinister. All right. I got a little bit more here. So there's a scene in the movie where the cable guy loses his lisp, rejoicing at the fact that he lost it and then gets it back. I think that's when they're fighting at the end. And that was at first a slip up on Jim Carrey's part. He just completely forgot to do the lisp. Oh really? And then realized it and ad libbed him being happy it was gone and then being upset it came back. Yeah. And I guess they liked it so much that they just kept it. But he That's just straight a, forgot. It's a funny scene. Like, it's a good scene. He straight just forgot that, hey, I've been doing a lisp for 65 days. Yeah. Uh, there's a long bit here about how it was written. And I guess... Apatow is credited as a producer, but he also wrote it. That's what I... Okay, yeah. So that's what I've always heard and have heard Judd Apatow say. And that's why I've always kind of considered this like the secret Judd Apatow movie. Yeah, it says that he was denied credit by the Writers Guild and then challenged the ruling, claiming that he wrote most of the dialogue in the scenes. And the novelization gives him credit as a writer. But he then lost an arbitration battle with Lou Holtz Jr. with the Writers Guild over credit... 
And according to Ben Stiller, Holtz's version was basically just like a silly slapstick buddy comedy. Yeah. But Apatow was... He revised the script to make <laughs> yeah. it bleaker. Yeah. Per Jim Carrey's request. Yeah, he that's... He wanted a funny version of the classic soccer films. Yeah, that's so that's what I've heard before. There was a really good Variety article uh, with Apatow from a couple years ago, like maybe 2016, I want to say, 2015, mm-hmm. uh, that I read going into this and it really it has that that's what i meant like you see the infancy of like apatow's writing style for movies like this movie feels long first well, it's off. over two hours yeah like you you're in it the comedy in it is long and drawn out and it's really subversive reference filled and you're not sure if you're supposed to laugh at it at some points and that's what I love about Judd Apatow's comedy primarily is because it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Even oh, yeah. Freaks Always. and Geeks. Like, all of it feels very uncomfortable. Because it's almost too real. Yeah. Like, funny people. I really enjoy funny people because it's, like, cool watching him kind of wa- write about his road life early on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, from his grand- delusions of grandeur perspective, if you could say, in a weird way. Like, he, he hyper-stylizes what his life became through the eyes of this character that he gets with, uh, uh, Sandy something. I forget the name of Adam Sandler's character in front of people. Uh, but even this is 40 is really, really funny. Like everything he's done has been pretty funny and it's funny in a way where it's an acquired taste for you where you're kind of like, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Right. Is this all right? Like, and and you get that a lot in Cable Guy, like a lot. In that cable might it guy. might have just been ahead of the curve. Like if this comes out now, oh, that yeah, no, this is a solid comedy if it comes out now. So Jim Carrey couldn't believe that nobody had thought to set a comedic piece at medieval times. Oh fuck, that scene is incredible. But there was one problem with them filming the scene, even though the restaurant closed its doors for the first time to let them film it in there. Completely. Really? But the problem was Matthew Broderick is allergic to horses. <laughs> I had to really concentrate not to sneeze all the time, he said. I like fight scenes and physical comedy, but we were doing it for like 16-hour days, and that can be quite... Imagine you have to film those medieval time scenes. You're Matthew Broderick, and you're allergic to horses. Yeah. And you have to like swing a sword, <laughs> and Jim Carrey's coming at you with everything. Yeah, because like, like, those, those look like they were doing some shit like in those fights. Like the complete recreation of Spock versus... Uh, uh, Kirk? Kirk, yeah. Uh, bruh, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Him miming, mouthing, and singing out the like intense battle music throughout their entire battle. Mm-hmm. Like you get it as the soundtrack. But it starts off with him mouthing it, and it's the funniest shit. That whole scene is incredible. That that scene and the the um, karaoke scene. Yeah, karaoke scene is great. Yeah, the, and then the him explaining uh, the internet effectively. And what's gonna happen? And what's gonna happen and on the satellite for the first time? Like the first time you hear that, but then you see he does that with everyone at the end, mm-hmm. which uh, is something you get, which takes a little from it. Spoiler. Sorry, late on that one. Whatever. It's 1996, right? Was it yeah, 96? Yeah. Or was it 95? It was 96. Okay. I hope it was 96. I'm going to feel really stupid if I check again. 
96. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're yeah, that's what we're good. But yeah, no, it's definitely something. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Like, sure. Oh yeah, Amazon I was just gonna Prime. ask. So, so this is pretty much like anyone with a like, not a warp sense, but like a darker. Like, enjoy the darker humor. It's yeah, and it. it <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to grasp. Like it is. Mm. I think it's like early '90s comedy genius type stuff. Like that really out there. Like oh wow, like kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Even though that's not really a comedy, but it is something that like I view swingers as a comedy. Like things like that that were okay. really yeah. uh out there and different, but influential they're dramedies. And they're, yeah. they're dramedies more than anything. Uh but this one is more of a a terrifying like terror terror story. Yeah, this is just like what if you had like the worst <laughs> friend ever? What if you uh, what if you like ran across the worst human possible? And they just that, wanted to be your best friend. But also destroy your life. <laughs> That's what real friends are for, man. I don't know. Yeah. So any any parting thoughts? Any anything else? Watch Cable Guy and be disturbed at a world that is would be pretty hard to exist now because of the communication and connectability that he speaks of. Because there's like the way he turns this guy's life upside down on him would be very easy to like disprove now and change and like, Oh yeah. Like now with the every, toxic yeah. behavior he's projecting onto, uh, Matthew Broderick alone is something that he could just like, I don't know, pull out his phone and record or, you yeah, know, could, like actually hey, text someone while it's happening. Hey, chips at my house again. He's at the people. Yeah, he's, he's exactly. Knocking on the door asking when I'm, yeah. Like he, he it. makes no effort to make communication to anyone while these horrible things are going on because he's so meek. Yes. And he's just so like sad and pathetic. And you're just kind of sitting there going like, dude, like, just tell someone about what's fucking going just on with this guy. Phone. Yeah. Yeah. He's but then, kill you. but then you find out later on down the road that maybe he couldn't report it to anyone because chip kind of has everyone in his back pocket. Big cable installation. Yeah. But because like you see like, so, at the, so, okay. A little bit of spoiler stuff, a little bit here. And this is kind of exploring the grander thing of stuff, but, and like stop now or whatever, if you don't care, uh, but kind of discussing like, <laughs> or if you bit. haven't seen the movie, yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, but this is like when you watch it and you see kind of the scene that happens. So the karaoke scene I talked about earlier, uh, you find out that he has a cop in his back pocket. There's all these people he's installed cable for and stuff. Mm-hmm. And throughout this movie, he's been exploiting and terrorizing Matthew Broderick's character to kind of get things from him in the end of it all, which is friendship actually from him. Mm -hmm. These other people he's maybe exploited or blackmailed or something of that nature to get because they kind of are like friends, but they also kind of seem like they're doing it like, cause he has like a kid in a basement or something, right? you know? So like my thing is maybe he's like, he doesn't have these friends, but he's turned all these people into weapons effectively that he can use to get friends or abuse people into quote unquote being his friends. Right. Um, so that's like, that's why I really like that scene is cause you kind of see all these people who are pretending and playing a part in this big play for Broderick to like get over his ex and have sex with another woman, which mm-hmm. is a prostitute that chip buys for him, which is a pretty fucking hilarious reveal and what kind of breaks them down as friends and then it's what drives him to kind of tell off the cable guy and then drives him to go even further and drive him from his family and get him fired 
and all this other like he he fucks his life up yeah, completely absolutely and he does it with the help of these people who are at this party at this karaoke party that is held in matthew broderick's home and he's made to believe that all these people are kind of just randos that are invited but it really out- it's all orchestrated by chip like the level of planning and foresight and sheer evil that chip goes through just to try and make this dude his friend but also have a backup plan that if he's not able to make him his friend he doesn't want to be my friend fucking destroy his life with these weapons effectively is insane and the the level of detail in that like could only come from a fucked up mind like Joe Apatow really so that's that's would be my parting thought on it is the level of detail into which chip like drives this motherfucker into the ground Mm -hmm. is insane and intense and beyond things like basic instinct or uh it's um, just yeah it's friendship basic instinct fatal attraction yeah it's all of those but is really kind of more intense because there's no sex right it's (laughs) it's just friendship like there's no femme fatale like he's effectively a femme fatale in this chip is but he's not he's he just equips the weapons for which a femme fatale usually uses to destroy your life but doesn't fuck him so it's like even more like how do you let this happen to yourself you're that weak and pathetic because sometimes it makes sense where you're like oh i was blinded by just how beautiful she was or whatever like Mm -hmm. you know simple men with our simple minds can very easily be uh distracted with like we're dumb we're stupid and we're just like oh lady like me do you so in this scenario like what you you don't want to be his friend you've fought against it this entire time and somehow you let him get to the point where he's able to like tear your family from you and turn them against you get you fired get you kicked out of your apartment like basically get you homeless your girl family nobody wants to talk to you and I was that I was just like, holy shit, this is intense. So, check out the cable guy. Cable guy. <laughs> it's on uh, Amazon Prime. You said. Yep, Amazon so, Prime. Check out Cable Guy. Let us know which technical prediction of Jim Carrey's is your favorite. I the <laughs> mine is, and you can play Mortal Kombat with your friend in Vietnam. <laughs> uh, you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram. Just at Heifer and we will be back, guys. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening. Thank you.